Once we were captured, we were taken first into a, a place called Westerborg, a detention camp on the border of the Netherlands and Germany, where they rounded up the people before they got shipped east to the various camps. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. And a blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. So, listeners, I was just sharing with my guest that... After interviewing 99 people, I am the most nervous. And also, this was one of the interviews that I had on my bucket list. And I am honored to be sitting with Professor, Air Doctor. It's not Doctor, but okay, I just add the accent. But with Henry Fenical, who is a Holocaust survivor. And I just want to say, Henry, thank you so much for being with me today. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I would just correct slightly the, the pronunciation of my <gasps> last name. say it. Fenichel. Fenichel. Yeah. See, listeners, I'm feeling forward already. But that's because we live in the United States. If, if it originally yes. it came from Germany, from Europe, and in Israel it's Fenichel. Oh, okay. So the C-H should be S-H here as a... As or opposed the, to seeing In Hebrew, it's a chet. <laughs> okay. That's great. Thank you for that. Okay. Also, I do want to note that the he has a PhD in physics and was a professor at the University of Cincinnati for- Almost 40 years. Almost 40 years. 38 plus. Yeah. I saw that. 38 plus. So welcome. Also, listeners, I wanted to share with you that you're probably thinking, well, Sarah, uh, somebody that was in the Holocaust, it, it's not a failure. Well- the premise for failing forward is all around obstacles that we are met with and how we overcome them and resiliency. And uh, God, what a better example. I can't think of a better example than than your story, Henry. So let's start. Share with us um, where you grew up and tell us maybe about your family. Okay. Uh, depending on my audience, so people frequently detect uh, an accent or something. Where are you from? And instead of taking a long time to tell the story, I asked them, are you familiar with the story of Anne Frank, yes. the diary of Anne Frank? Yeah. And almost everybody says, yes, they are. So I said, you're looking at a parallel story with a happy ending in that I survived Bergen-Belsen where she passed away. But I was a Jewish kid born in Holland, the Netherlands, and uh, the Nazis invaded, rounded up first the men, supposedly to go to labor camps to work in factories. Okay. That's the point. My father was taken away, never to return from Auschwitz. After a while, they started to round up not just men, but women and children and babies and grandmas. Do you need those in labor camps? If you weren't suspicious before, that's the point at which people went into hiding. And how and, old were you when your father left? Uh, I was around four years old. Three okay. Three or four years old. Three or four years old. And do you have any siblings? No. You were only child? I was the only child. Okay. And how old were your parents? Um, hmm, at that point, they were in the, uh, on the order of 
30-something, okay. mid-30s. And generations um, lived in the Netherlands? No. No. Both parents were immigrants in the Netherlands. Okay. Uh, my, my father grew up in a city called Tarnow in Poland. Okay. But his family, brothers, sisters, parents, uh, when he was young, moved to Germany and opened up a business in Berlin. They had a business having to do with tobacco, smoking, cigarettes, something of that order. They had okay. a store in there. That's, my, in a nutshell, my father's story. My mother was one of 12 brothers and sisters, wow. six and six, in a small village, Uschew, also in Poland. Okay. Uh, and uh, not not that far from where the Tarnow is or, or some of the other major cities in Poland. Mm -hmm. And uh, it had a elementary school, the village. There okay. were only maybe two, three Jewish families in there. It was not a Jewish tetel as, as such. Okay. And they had a little business, I think, uh, where they, I think, had to do with wheat, collecting wheat, mm. selling bread and stuff like that. And... Uh, then uh, she went to the local school, but she was interested in education, so she went to the village nearby, Bjeshko, which had a high school. Okay. So she, she took high school course over there, and then she decided this was too confining for her. So imagine this teenage girl oh my goodness. In, the, in the 1920s picked up a cousin, and they went to the Netherlands to Holland. Wow. By the way... Uh, geography lesson, the name of the country is the Netherlands. Holland is just one of the provinces, one of the states in the country, the Netherlands. Okay. But that it had Amsterdam, is it, right. and Rotterdam, and The Hague, the major the cities. Hague, yeah. So everybody calls it Holland. But right, the, the but it's really the, the Netherlands. But it's the Netherlands. So your mom was very courageous it sounds oh, like incredible which, which of course now in retrospect I, I appreciate more and more what she must have gone through once we got caught and you know to take care of this little four-year-old kid once we were captured you know then. okay so you so do you remember your dad leaving at all or no I, I have one distinct memory of my father which is sort of reminiscence when I go to the Cincinnati Zoo Okay. I remember him taking me to the zoo the, in, in the suburbs of The Hague. Yes. And there was an, an island which has monkeys in there. Mm -hmm. And I remember him taking me to see the monkeys on that mm -hmm. island. And a few years back, I was invited to spend a sabbatical at the university in, in, the, in, the, in Delft, Delft University in Lake. I spent a year there, and I went back to look for that zoo, and that island is still there. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So it must have, been, must have happened. It must have really happened. That's right. <laughs> yeah. My memory is relatively limited, you know. I was too young to take notes and keep a diary. Right. <laughs> and then I didn't know if this was a thing, but I didn't know if, because it was so traumatic, if it got, if you, you know, repressed it and didn't remember any certain memories of that age. I remember relatively little of that, and I attribute that, in retrospect, to my mother. You know, right. she must have been an incredible woman to take care of me and explain, this is it, it'll pass, this too shall pass. You know, imagine her. I mean, we had to, we had to go into hiding. 
Okay. And so your dad leaves. My and dad then... leaves, and they start rounding up men, women, and children. So at that point, she goes just like the and Frank and her family. They went into hiding in uh, Amsterdam. My mother and I lived in the Hague, and we went into hiding in in the Hague. Okay. And uh, uh, we're able to spend some time in there until we were captured and. And once we were captured, we were taken first into a, a place called Westerborg. That yes. was a detention camp on the border of the Netherlands and Germany, where they rounded up the people before they got shipped east to the various camps. The Jews were rounded up into Westerborg. Okay. And uh, I remember a little bit of Westerborg, not that much. At that point, I'm sort of, uh, I guess, five years old. And what is what was Westerborg like? Uh, was it similar to the labor camps and concentration camps? or No, Westerborg was really more like a ghetto. Okay. Meaning it's a place where you just had Jews, but in the internal operation was run by a Jewish committee. And... Uh, uh, you know, it was barbed wires. You couldn't go in and out, but the operation just—I remember being in kindergarten, so to speak, in the really? in okay. the camp, and uh, so otherwise, it, life was more or less normal in, in Westerbrook, except that every Tuesday morning, yes, the people who ran the place yes. had to line up on the order of a thousand people, either. 900 to 1,200 bodies at the train station loaded up on cattle cars, most of whom never came back. So clearly what you tried to do, which my mother must have done, befriended the people, the powers that be, and make sure we're not on that Tuesday morning train that goes east. Even though at that point, how terrible the death camps were... I think it was just a rumor. It wasn't that well known yet. Right. But, I was curious. Like, did people yeah. know? I don't think they knew the details. But did you knew your that mom, it couldn't be good. Yeah. You couldn't be good. Yeah. yeah. Did your mom know about your father? At some point, we got a notice that my father had been murdered. Had, oh. A Red Cross notice. The Red Cross? The Red Cross kept records. And some of the stuff I don't that? remember, and I, in fact, yeah. I, I need my wife Diana here. She straightens me out <laughs> if I make a mistake, but uh, I attribute that to my age and what have you. So that's I I I didn't I didn't know that the Red Cross did did the Nazis let the Red Cross in? Well, yes and no, because it served their purposes too. Remember, just like they were Jewish, and. Uh, People who were captured, uh, who, who, whom the Nazis didn't want, there were a lot of Nazi soldiers that were captured. The Allies had Nazi soldiers. Mm-hmm. They wanted them back. So you needed to have an intermediary to negotiate. Okay, thank you. And, and part of that, and because of that ability to negotiate a little bit, I'm alive today. Because I ended up, I don't know at what point you want me to tell me that, ended up as part of an unusual miracle of an exchange that uh, is is incredible when I look at it. Okay, you have to tell us that story. So the story there is that uh, while all of this is going on in Europe, 
in the Holy Land, in Palestine, there lived a bunch of uh, Christians who called themselves Templars. Okay. Not after Knight Templars, the Middle Age soldiers who went to the Holy Land, but they believed that uh, in in that each one of us, as Christians, has the temple in ourselves. Mm. And they felt it was very important for Christians to reside in the Holy Land to speed up the return of the Messiah. Interesting. So starting out, the, 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 their base was in southern Germany. Yeah. And they would send emissaries who would travel to the Holy Land, sometimes stay for a while. After a while, a number of villages, German Templar villages, got established in the Holy Land. Okay. So including if you go today to Jerusalem, yes. one of the suburbs is called the German colony. Okay. That's the one they built. And in fact, they introduced modern architecture, uh, I, I mean, uh, you know, farming architecture. They okay. brought in the European world into, into the uh, the Holy Land, okay. which at the time was, of course, called Palestine. Palestine. Okay, so that started about 18-something. Okay. So now we're back in the 1930s, early 40s. Right. And the Middle East is run by the British. The British and the French took, before World War I, there were no countries in the Middle East. The whole place was run by the Turks, called the Ottoman Empire. Yes, okay, I know after, that. After World War I, the French and the German took over and created countries. So as an aside, if I may say that, the mess we have in the Middle East is that they didn't know how to draw borders. <laughs> but that's a different lecture. <laughs> that's going to be our next interview. Yeah, and the, the point is, the, the subject, yeah. of course, is very serious. But the yes. only way I can present it is put a little bit of levity into it. Yeah. But it's, it, I'm not trying to be funny. Well, I feel like you so, have to put, we have to put levity in this, or you just the, cry throughout yeah, the whole... I can't yeah. just wake up every morning and cry, you know. And yeah. It, uh, so, so, fortunately, I can do that. I don't know why, but that, that's what keeps me going. Mm. So, anyway, so, so now you have a war going on in Europe, and... Uh, in, in Palestine, uh, you have a number of villages, cities, with, which are, where you have German communities. And many of the men, the, those Germans were loyal Germans. Yes. And many of the men left Palestine, went back to Germany to fight for the cause. Why they went makes no sense to me. But then you have Jewish friends, Muslim friends. By the way, when you say the, <clears throat> the word Arab... In Palestine, it just means somebody who speaks Arabic. Oh. It doesn't mean a Muslim. Okay. Because many of the Arabs in Palestine, you know, in the holy places, Bethlehem, Nazareth, are Christians. Okay. And they speak Arabic. And many of the Jews in Israel right now who yeah. got kicked out of Arab countries around the 1940s when the war started, at home they speak Grandparents speak Arabic. Arabic. So okay. Jews can speak Arabic also. Okay. Know? Just like Jews who came from Europe speak Yiddish at home in the, in the, in the, in, the, in in the east the people who came from from Arab countries speak Arabic at home. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, so many of the Germans went back to the, the German men yes. joined the Nazi party and they went back to Germany. Okay. 
and uh, the and they left their women and children. Okay. And after a while, these women and children wanted to come go back to Germany and join the rest of the, the, the husbands and the family okay. and the other family they had in Germany. So somebody says, uh-uh. You have Germans in Palestine who want to go back to Germany. Oh. Let's find people from Palestine and Germany who want to go, go back, back to, to Palestine. Palestine. Needless to say, there were none of those. So on a pretext of having a connection to Palestine, the Nazis allowed for a list to be established of people wow. who have family in Palestine. Did you have family in Palestine? And my father, coming back to his, I said, he, 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 since he was a child, he lived in Berlin, Germany. Okay. When the Nazis came to power and prohibited Jews from having stores and shopping and all of that, the family said... You know, that to close their business, they decided to go up to Palestine. Smart. What's the family? His father, his mother, brother, and sister. The brother and sister were already in their 20s. Okay, okay. And they went to Palestine. And my father, who was already in his 20s then, said, you know what? You guys go to Palestine. I want to see the world. I want to go to the Netherlands, to Holland, mm. Belgium, France. And then I will join you in Palestine. And that's what happened. So they went directly to Palestine in the early 1930s. Okay. Before things got very bad in, in Germany, they were able to get out. And my father, in 1933, went to Holland, to the Netherlands. He meets this gorgeous woman, falls in love. Yeah, yes. My mother, right, and that slowed down the process. But they were always hoping that someday they will they join the rest of the family in Palestine. Palestine. In Palestine. So then, so so they got married in 1933. Okay. I was born in 38, or they met in 33. I was born in 38. Sure. And then, by early 40s, you know, we were now in a in a concentration camp. So how Coming do you back, how do you like communicate with family in Palestine? How do you even get to that? So apparently there was some communication, but uh, I assume how how it actually started. I, I I'm just conjecturing that okay. at Westerborg, the word got around that they are looking for people with a connection to Palestine or people who happen to be in Holland that came from Palestine and uh, to use them as part of an exchange program for the women and children, the German women and children in Palestine who want to go back to Germany, you got to find an equal number of right. people from Palestine who want to go back to Palestine. And so that was a pretext to create a list with people, how my mother found out about that list is not clear to me, but she probably had a little in with the powers that be in the camp. And uh, somehow my, we ended up on that list. And I, I have copies of documents that came from the Red Cross. Red Cross? Well, it turns out that this whole operation was yes. done in a neutral country called Switzerland. Mm. And we had some exchange from Switzerland that, uh, you know, that, that we have a family in there and that they put our name on a li potential list for exchange. Again, the actual 
details I don't know, but I do have example. I, for example, while we were still in Westerborg, yes. in one day a letter came from Switzerland, formal letter, Red Cross emblem, saying that we have a good chance of being on an exchange list. Oh, my gosh. My mother takes this out and runs to the front office, to the commandant, to say, you know, we have, a, yes. we have in a special category, now we have a chance. He looks at this thing and he says, uh-uh. What do you mean, uh-uh? It's official, it came from the Red Cross, here's their emblem and signature and stuff. It doesn't have any numbers on it. What's the numbers mean? What does that mean? These damn Nazis, you know, numbers that the people uh, have on their arm. Everything has to be God. formal, listed with numbers. So word goes back to Switzerland, they want numbers. They want numbers, we'll give you numbers. And about a month or two later, we get another form, which has my number on it. It's idiocy, you know. The, the, yes. This, uh, but, but anyway, so crazy things are responsible for our surviving. So, so anyway, so that so at that point, once that came, that yes. came in. Okay, we were in Westerborg in the fall of 1944. Okay. In December, we got that f final letter that says we have been placed on a list. Okay. But nothing happened. February first, Tuesday morning, we are loaded up on a train, ended up in Bergen-Belsen, part with other people who were slated for that exchange. And so then we ended up can I, in February. Can I clarify? So you go from Wester Westerborg Borg to, to Bergen, Bergen Belsen, yeah. which is a concentration camp. Which is a concentration camp. But Westerborg, but Bergen Belsen actually was never a death camp. I mean, oh. the North Death, death oh. Chambers there. Okay. Thousands and thousands of people died there because, because of, of illness, malnutrition, yeah. food, no, food illness. Whatever. And as the war progressed, West. Uh, uh, um, Bergen-Belsen originally was meant to be meant to be a camp for captured Allied soldiers. Oh, where and was Bergen-Belsen located? It's in Germany. It's in Germany. Yeah, okay. it's in Germany, not that far from the uh, Dutch border, so to speak. Okay. It's, it's in Western Germany, I guess. Okay. And uh, uh, it was meant to be a, a place to put uh, captured Allied, Allied soldiers that would then be traded for German soldiers, Nazi soldiers that have been uh, captured by the Allies. But then eventually it changed its role and and as so how long got packed. Did you stay so, there? so we were there from the beginning of February until the end of June. Your poor mother. Uh, and, and and at the end of June, okay, we, February to June. We, okay. Uh, on a, one day. They rounded up 220 Dutch Jews. Yes. Mostly older people, not that many men, and uh, between 14 and 45, so to speak, and a couple of kids. And they loaded us on a train, a proper train, not the cattle car that brings you to the camps. Okay. And. Ten days later, we arrived in the Holy Land in Palestine. Oh, the actual gosh. technical exchange was while we were on the train in Europe, when we got to Turkey, to the Bosphorus, there's a water you have to cross. One ferry took us east. At the same time, there was another ferry taking the Templars from Palestine yes. west. Uh, we, I think we got the better deal. 
<laughs> I think you did too. So do you remember that trip or were you still too young? I remember a little bit. What do I remember? Yeah. At that point, I'm six years old. Okay. So and, what is that? Kindergarten, first grade? Yeah, uh, I guess, whatever. Uh, but, you know, the train was a proper overnight train. That means you have little cabins. Yes. And in the cabins, you have two benches facing each other, and two or three people can sit on each bench. And at night, you can slide these chairs together to be a bed because it's an overnight trip right. for a few days. Well... If you have two, three people on each side and you put it into a bed, there's not much room mm. to sleep. Right. Luggage we didn't have. So I remember every night they tied me up on a luggage rack on oh the gosh. train, and on, on, uh, uh, on the luggage rack. Yeah. And on the uh, in the train, I remember that you know so you a six year old remembers that, so I could sleep, and that's how I slept. So that's one thing I remember from the train. And was and, the was the like. I'm sure there was a lot of fear, but was there excitement or relief or what? What at that the, point? Once we were on the train, it was a lot, a lot of excitement. There was a lot a, of excitement. there was really a sense we are freedom is not far away. Freedom. And even the Nazis started to behave, and they would come and say, "We didn't treat you so badly, did we?" Kind of. <laughs> and uh, another image that I remember, again, it's a kid's image. Uh, we were on a side railing somewhere. I guess it was part of the Orient Express, for all I know. And uh, there was a somebody outside the window. A woman had a basket full of cherries. Okay. Whether she was trying to sell it to us or give it to us, I don't know. But I remember a basket of cherries as big as tomatoes, as big as mm. apples. Now cherries aren't that big, mm -mm. but here, you know, think of it as a kid. I wasn't, I haven't seen fresh fruit for two years. Oh my That's the memory that I have of seeing this fresh fruit. So Henry, when you all get to Palestine, do does your father's family know that you're coming? Like, did anybody was anybody there when you arrived? Yes. They were not there to see us at the uh, train, train station, but they knew that they they knew that we were coming because they worked on it. What they had to do is not. And clear. like I, I would assume that there were there were people that like had to you know hide to do it you know underground kind of risked I'm their sure, lives yeah. right. The, yeah, the only thing I know is uh, interesting detail. Uh, by then, my father's father passed away of, I guess, of natural causes. causes. The grandmother, my grandmother, was still alive. Yes. And my father has, a, as I mentioned, a brother and a sister. The sister was married, and uh, at that point she had a child already, one. The others were coming along the way. And, and the brother was still a bachelor at the time. The mother, my father's mother, my grandmother, yes. in the morning knew that we are here, and she says, my grandson is coming, and she passed away that same day. She, no. So we never got to see her. No. So she had good news, but she, she, did. But she, she took with She passed her. away knowing yeah. that you were safe. Yeah. So that, that, that's... Oh, my that's goodness. Oh, yeah. So the little, these... It's hard to believe, right? These yeah. things took place, actually. Yeah. 
and uh, it's just scary. So anyway, so then, but you know, the country at the time, it was before the establishment of the state, that was 1944. Okay. Four years before the state was established. And the country was predominantly by European Jews. The Jewish part was yes. run by committee people who were more or less socialists with a social communist kind of okay. point of view. And the settlements, many of the farming settlements are what's called collective farms, kibbutzim. Okay. And in their wisdom, they decided to separate my mother and me. What? Imagine what's going on on the Mexican border right Wait, now. Wait, are you serious? Well, the How philosophy... How old were you? I was six years old. The point is this, the kibbutzim, the social kibbutzim, yes. uh, children are separated from the parents. They have a children's... You know, they see the parents during the sure, day, sure, but, sure. But, but they're not... Hell, they don't live with the parents. Their bedrooms is together with the children's room. There's a, there's a whole part of the camp, of the of the village that is a children's home. You know, they treat them. They figure that's better for the kids to bring them up than it's changed. It's not the same anymore. Okay. But that's so the basically way. your mom gets you there, and then so she they, gets you there, so, and you, she so, has to separate right. from you. And and they figure that my mother probably maybe she wasn't uh, was healthy or, or you know that needed. Now that we're under freedom, it might be best for her, for her health, to send me to a children's home. And she went to live with my father's sister and the family and the children in a small house on the outskirts of Tel Aviv. And I was sent to a children's home in a place called Naharia, okay. which was a village on the Mediterranean coast, close to the Lebanese border. How far, North, how many miles away is that? From each other? I mean, in our days, it's an hour's, hour's drive. I mean, but it's, back just, then it's it a was... small country. <laughs> yeah. But back then, it. Back then, you know, it's a, I mean, you can fit the whole country between Cincinnati and Dayton, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> but still, that's far it's away a, from your child. Okay, so yeah. how long but, was but she, that? But, but that. But as I said, my mother would come and visit me all, all the time. Every holiday, summer vacations holiday, I would be with her in the city. Okay. Was she so, okay with that? Or? I, I assume she was. You know, she. I think I once asked, she says, you know, I was told that that was best for me. She was yeah. thinking about me. Yeah. yeah. And was it? Uh, and, uh, you know, so it's a living in a dormitory. You go to like the boarding school you, you a little go bit. To, you go to the village school. They have a small school, elementary school, mm -hmm. and 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 you have a boarding place, a place where you sleep and yeah. with some other friends. Uh, in any case, it was better than being in a camps. Right, okay. So it was an improvement, but obviously, looking in retrospect, idiocy, a bunch of idiots. Right. You know, it makes no sense. Right. But, but I survived that one too. How long were you there? So I was there for four years. Until 1948, 47, 48, when the state of Israel was established. Okay. Okay. Then, uh, until then, the place was run by the British. The whole Middle East was run by the British. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And most of the Jews, when they started to emigrate in the turn of the century to the Holy Land, they figured there'll be one country and there'll be Jews and Christians and Muslims in it. But that didn't work out. So the United Nations recommended, why don't we split 
outdoor border separating the Jews from the Palestinians. Mm -hmm. Palestinians being the people who resided there before. Again, many Christians, not Muslims. So, uh, and I, I guess Israel accepted it, the Jews accepted it, but the Palestinians didn't. Mm. And for all I know, I think the Palestinians probably would have accepted it, but the neighboring countries didn't. Mm. Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Iraq, Iran, Egypt invaded the country, drive the Jews to the sea. Mm. So I was in an isolated village during that fighting, and I remember that fighting also. And But the Israeli military was able to protect, protect us, and my mother was on a first command car picking me up and taking me down to the city no. where she now lived with her husband. Okay. She married somebody. Okay. And... Uh, uh, which is an interesting story in itself. Uh, I, I guess I can say that uh, because my father's brother... I knew you were going to say this. ...was still a bachelor. I knew you were going to say that, yeah. And, and so she married him. And she... Uh, uh, no. No? Oh. They I even liked each other, but because of an ancient Jewish law, that was not to be... Really? You say, that that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So you say, what do you mean ancient law? And I checked with some rabbis and, well, think ancient days. You know, you lived like a tribe, like Bedouins roaming the desert. And husbands had multi-wives, you know, not just one wife, you know, the Mm -hmm. the harems, I guess, Mm -hmm. so to speak. So imagine there's this young couple in, in the desert and the husband goes out and is killed by a deer. Yeah. What do you do? What do you do with a wife? You just take her and say, ask a brother to add her to his harem. Right. Right. But if there was a child, then it's verboten. Oh. And you say, huh? Yeah, but because a brother cannot take the brother's child away. That's the the child means that's the heritage, the future of oh. the dead brother now. And that's okay. sort of irrational. So she, so she, she, so she accepted she, that. Who did? Wait, 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 wait. Who did she marry? She married somebody that uh, that the family knew. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, trusted was not, or something. Somebody who who had a wife before. They didn't have children, and she passed away natural death. Did and, you like him? And I, I liked him maybe as an uncle, but not as a father. Yeah. Because he didn't have children before either. So right. Did they have children together? No. No. Okay. So then what happened? So this is 1948. Okay. okay. The war so, is... So the war is going on in Israel with the Palestinians. And uh, eventually the war is over. But uh, maybe just a political comment that I need to say because you hear about the Middle East and the Palestinians fighting every day. Yes. After that... Because of the fighting of the war, not only did the Arab countries not succeed in driving the Jews to the sea, but they lost some land. Okay. Had they accepted it originally, the Palestinians would have more land now than they actually have. Furthermore, for the next 20 years, the West Bank, Palestine, was run by Jordan. They did not have independence. Mm. They didn't give them independence. The Gaza Strip... Yes. For the next 20 years was won by Egypt. They didn't give him independence. 
Then in 67, another war and the Israelis take over and they still don't have independence. But let's stop that part. But the point is you need to know that when you sure. follow what's going on in in Europe. So so anyway, so I my stepfather had a uh, uh, an apartment. He was a, a first class tailor. A okay. Wo- a woman could come with it with a button, and he would make a suit around it. Wow. <laughs> he okay. was apparently a quality craftsman in yeah. that sense. So I went to the local school in Tel Aviv. We lived in Tel Aviv in sort of an area, Cincinnati-style, comparable to okay. re- resurgence of the over the Rhine okay. nowadays. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for, for a desi- very desirable place now. And I went to school and all that, but life was rough, you know, the, uh, the food was rationed. Mm. And my stepfather had two brothers in the United States. Okay. And they said, you know, life is rough in Israel right now, Palestine. Why don't you come to the United States? You know, over here, the sidewalks are paved with gold. <laughs> hey, sidewalks paved with gold, how can you resist right. that? So we hopped on a boat by the name of Andrea Doria. Okay. Some people have heard the name. I don't know the name, but okay. She sank like the Titanic a few years later. No. We were We were on her maiden voyage. Oh, my gosh. And uh, my wife says a cat has nine lives, so I still have a few more to go. <laughs> And we entered. She's the, loud. She's smiling at you when you say that. And we entered the New York Harbor. Statue of Liberty is on the left, skyscrapers on the right, and on the small black and white TV, President Eisenhower gives his inaugural speech, January 1953. That was the wonderful welcome for a 14-year-old boy to the United States. Okay. We could keep going forever and ever. Can I ask a couple questions? Sure. Throughout all of that, I mean, that's a lot to overcome. What were your biggest learning lessons, or how has it impacted you the most? The point is that you, 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 when you go through this day by day, that's the life you know. Mm-hmm. Now, in retrospect, we say, well, there are all kinds of options. I could have done that. I could have done that. Why didn't I? And all of that. I didn't think of it that way. That was my life, you know. And my mother, as I said, must have been incredible to take care of me whenever issues may have come up to to calm me down, you know. And and she was really an incredible woman. In retrospect, I didn't appreciate it at the mm-hmm. time, you know. But uh, and and actually, fortunately, once we got married, my father stepfather was still alive. We lived in the New York area. Mm-hmm. And when I met this gorgeous woman who was sitting there and smiling, and my stepfather passed away, she allowed my father, my mother to come and join us and live with us and the grandkids in our house here in Cincinnati. I love that. And I love so, that. So it was wonderful. For, for your mother, do you feel like it was hard for her to love after feeling so much pain? Or do you think the human spirit comes through and naturally you want to love. I don't think her relations with my stepfather were amorous. Yeah. I think it was just a convenience of life, you know, uh, uh, the kind of life she had. She was really concerned in retrospect about her son. And a son needs to see live within a family. Mm -hmm. And he, even though he was not fatherly, he, he... 
He, he tried, provided. He, 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 yeah, he tried to write. He never had children of his own either, you know. So, so it. Uh, uh, so, as I said, I, I think of him as being a, a, a nice uncle. Yeah. But I didn't have the relationship, the, the, the love with him that I have with my mother. Did you parent? Do you feel like you parented differently with your kids because of the relationship with him or, or your upbringing? Well, I'm fortunate that I'm married to this wonderful woman, and she keeps me straight. So I'm sure (laughs) (laughs) she would let me know if I didn't do the right thing. (laughs) Well, you have to tell us, where did you two meet? Where did we two meet? Yeah. We we met in Brooklyn College. Okay. Okay. So we stayed in the New York area where one of the brothers lived. The other brother lived in California. Yes. And I went to local school. And by the way, Brooklyn is a Dutch name. Okay. So I, I went back to Holland, so to speak. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> went to Brooklyn College where I got a free education, you know. Brooklyn seriously? Co- seriously. How you did you, you get- had to have the grades, but the, the, it wow. was free. I okay. mean, the city fathers in New York did the right thing. Wow. And I met my gorgeous wife over there. Yeah. And we met uh, socially, I guess we met in the Hillel Foundation, which is sort of like a Jewish uh, like, fraternity, sorority. Okay. And uh, and that's it. And uh, once I met her, I wouldn't let her go. How many years have you been married? A few weeks ago, we celebrated 60 years. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. And, I, again, I, I, I'm, I'm saying that she doesn't really mind it if I say that. that uh, I think of her as, as being... A bottle, a, 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 an ancient, a good old bottle of wine that improves with age. And she gets better every day. Oh, you know what, Henry? We're going to close with that because I think that's amazing. Thank you. Oh, she thank is, you. She is amazing. I mean, she takes care of me. Imagine with that background that I had, she, she tolerates it, you know. Well, I think I'm sure that's the case, but I also think you – you have so much love to give her, and that's it's reciprocated. Thank you for spending the time. Thank you for sharing the story and for sharing the story with – I know you do this. Oh, I wanted to make note that you are a part of the Nancy and David Wolf Holocaust and Humanity Center, uh, the Speakers Bureau. So you go around right. and speak, and um, I want to say thank you so much yeah, I, I also I also serve on the board. Oh, you also serve on the okay, great. You're also on the board too. And a plug for that, go down to the Holocaust Museum that's at the Cincinnati Museum Museum Center, correct? Right. The the old train station. Yeah. Which is a wonderful museum center now. It's it just is. an incredible building. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. And and we are fortunate that they invited us to join them there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know they, they I'm sure yeah. they love having you. So thank you, Henry. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod. 